We just felt like with uh, this week coming up being the 150th anniversary of this building, that it'd be great to give today as a moment to just say, actually, maybe the story of this building is something that can provoke and change us uh, through God's leading, and that's what I'm hoping will happen. Uh, but I thought I'd start off by telling you a couple of stories in relation to this building, a couple of stories that I've enjoyed uh, hearing. Uh, the first one is from kind of uh, 1900, 1901, where uh, apparently uh, the trustees had to intervene uh, because of the church community that met here, because the kids uh, used to sit up in the balcony, and it was discovered that the children, while sitting in the balcony, uh, would pass bits of paper between them and then take it in turns to see who could drop the best shot on the lady underneath's big hat. And it was discovered at this point that this wasn't going to happen anymore, and so they were asked to come down from the balcony not doing it. And I just thought, man, I love the fact that still that'd be still the same thing now, that if we were to put kids up there, they'd still throw stuff at people. I think it just keeps going. My other favorite story would be in terms of a guy who was employed to be the organ pump person. Now, I didn't even know that existed, but before electricity came in uh, for the organ, there was a pump needed to be pushed uh, to do it, and so someone was actually paid to be the pumper. And um, the guy who was employed to be the pumper um, actually kept having to be reprimanded because often, when there was a gap, he'd use it as a moment to escape the confines of this building and quickly go over the road. And at this point, over the road, literally opposite here, was a pub and then the landlord's house op uh, next to it. And he'd quickly see any gap as a moment where he could run over the road, get a quick pint in, and then get back to the pumping. And so it got to a point where he just kept not coming back or when he did come back, he was very merry, and so there needed to be a moment of kind of saying, actually, you shouldn't do that. Uh, and I, I just thought, to be honest, I think again, that if the pub was still over the road, that when we have our break moment, I wonder how many people would run over the road for a quick swift half before we came back. But in terms of this moment now, maybe we could look and say, well, is this then just going to be a nostalgia lesson of us looking back uh, it's not that, that I want us to do. It could also be a bit of, well, we've only in reality been here for 10 months, and so are we trying to own something that's not ours to be owned? You know, before us, there was a Methodist church that had built this, met here, and then in the end closed the doors and sold the building. And so are we trying to own something that isn't ours? But whereas what I want us to see, and I hope discover, is that actually this building was built to be a home. And everyone who's dwelt in here is sought to be home builders. And I want us to see that this building of home is something that is a bigger story that has gone on before us, but what, that we're now invited to become part of. And that this building doesn't define us, but it becomes a moment that's been used to say, hey, this is to be a home to welcome others in, but what kind of home is it going to be? And I want us to look, therefore, at some instruction, a story that Jesus tells. As I believe, as we look at this story briefly, it's going to allow us to understand something of why this building was ever built and what it looked like originally for home to be built, but also what it looks like for us to give ourselves to be home builders. And in it, what I'm hoping is by the end, we'll then get to this point of thinking, all right, we get to be part of this bigger story that I think is so good in our day and age to remember that, you know, as a church community oasis, we've been going for 19 years. 
And sometimes we think, oh man, we've been going for 19 years. And when you come into somewhere like this, you suddenly realize, no, no, we're part of a bigger story. It's way bigger than us. That go on beyond us as well. It, the story we're now part of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, transforming, transforming the whole of the cosmos, will outlive every single one of us. And it's just good to live with that perspective. So I want us to start, therefore, looking at Mark 4, where Jesus says this, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Jesus says, hey, if you want to know what the kingdom is like. Now the kingdom he's referring to is God's kingdom, which is God's rule and reign, which is all about God's goodness and love. That's what God's kingdom is characterized by. And Jesus says, if you want to know what it's like, it's like a farmer. Now at this point you're thinking, yeah, but you were talking about building home. How is this going to be about building home? We've switched analogy. Well, I'm going to let us see that this analogy of a farmer in a field helps us understand the kind of home that we're to be building and what it's to be shaped by how we're to do it, why we're to do it. Before we get there, so he tells this story and says, hey, there's this farmer who has a field, a piece of ground, and all he does is he has some seed and he entrusts and knows the power of that seed. He knows that if he takes that seed and sows it into the ground, it will grow. It isn't the farmer then spends every day going to the seed saying, grow, grow, grow. So he just knows the seed is going to grow. And in due course he'll get to harvest it. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. See, firstly, I want us to understand that in being those who build home or are those who are home builders, there's a what of what we're building. And the what is what Jesus refers to here, that the what of what we build is about God's kingdom. See, in these moments, I think it's helpful to inhabit a building that's had a church in it before because if we're not careful, we become, we think, start to think that why we exist is for ourselves. Why we exist is to build the name of Oasis. You know, we've been going for 19 years, 18 of us in a lounge, that we've grown to this point, sending lots of people out of here. And we think, oh yeah, what we're about is the building of Oasis. And if we start to think that way, that, that's very unhelpful, and that's more the language of building an empire. What Jesus says, actually, you know, what, what this is all about is a kingdom. That the home we build is always about a kingdom. That when this building was built by a different bunch of believers who went under a different name of a church, of South Street Methodist Church, is what they were seeking to do, why they were building this, was because of God's kingdom. It wasn't to say, hey, we want our name to live on. We want to build this empire of ourselves. No, it's saying we're about this kingdom that is God's, that's characterized by his love and goodness, but that is ultimately about the king of the kingdom. That ultimately is always about Jesus. And for us, it's so helpful to have these moments of remembering that actually why we exist and what we're about is revealing this kingdom, causing others to taste and see 
how good God is, how loving he is. And ultimately to this point of then receiving for themselves who Jesus is. That what outlives us is Jesus. That we're not into building a name for ourselves, we're into building a name for him. And the story of this building reminds us what we're about is Jesus and his kingdom, his rule and reign. As if you like, that's the what. It's then the where Jesus kind of then questions, says, well, what do you, you know you're about the kingdom, then what do you do with it? And in a moment, we're going to get to see that we get to sow seed. But he first of all says, well, you need to understand that like where you do this is in a field. You know, the farmer doesn't just go randomly around throwing seed. He goes to the ground that he owns and says, no, this is the place I'm going to invest this seed. This is the place, Jesus says, you are to invest the kingdom. We need to be clear on the fields that God has called us to. The fields God's called us to of where we're to build home, home that reveals who he is. And I'd say there's three fields that God has called us to. Firstly, it's the field of who we are together as Oasis Church. See, so often we can forget that one. We can think, oh no, when we're talking about the kingdom, it's about us taking the wonderful experience and knowledge of what we know of who Jesus is and his rule and reign out there into the world. But it's actually the first place we need to develop and live in the wonder of God's rule and reign is together as a church community, as a family. That the home that we get to build together is to be characterized by God's goodness and love. That's why when we've come to talk and celebrate in uh, baby Jesse getting to a point of thinking, actually, you know, I was talking to James and Laura, and they say, man, if things continue, he'll be with us next Sunday. And I'm thinking, man, I remember last Saturday night getting the call saying, can we gather to pray because we're not sure if Jesse's going to make it to tomorrow morning. And you know, these moments are moments where we remember, no, what we build together is God's kingdom. Knowing that Jesus is king and we get to understand and reveal his rule and reign to one another. So in those moments where the chips seem down, there's a moment to stand together, to offer comfort, to pray. As well as in the moments like today where you get to celebrate. Because we're not just a bunch of people who turn up and sing some songs and uh, kind of congratulate news. We're, we're deeply connected of understanding now what we're establishing together in this field of Oasis is God's rule and reign with Jesus as king. That's the first field. Second field is one that surprised us, is this area of Harborn. See, 12 months ago, we weren't looking to be here. We were the church that met in the arts center, the MAC. We were the church that had met at Edgebaston Stadium. We didn't occupy buildings like this, and we definitely didn't go to areas like Harborn. But God had different plans. He wanted us to understand there was a field that he had invested in and put a building there, not for a building's sake, but in order that it would be a building that could be used to reveal his kingdom and the king at the center of it. And then Coulson says, I want you to come and occupy this field. You see, this field started to be sown in, in 1837. That's the origins of this building, of a guy called Mr. Parks, Mr. Parks, 1837, he decides there's this village called Harborn, and he decides to go there to start to talk about the wonder of who the king is, Jesus, and the kingdom that he reveals. And he goes and speaks next to a pub called the Green Man. 
And as he's speaking there, he gets a relatively hostile uh, reception. In actual fact, historians say that what happened was people started to throw dirty water at him, which basically means, I think, water that is either used for washing up, winging, or pooing in. So there's water thrown at him, but he continues. So then they start throwing mud at him. He continues. And so then they start throwing bricks at him. He finishes. The second Sunday, he turns up to speak at the same point about who Jesus is. And this time brings a friend, and it says they bring, brings a friend, and they note that he was blind. Now in that I thought, man, like, was this the only person he convinced to come with him? A blind person who couldn't see what was going to happen? Or was it that the blind person came and was there going to be saying, come on, you could keep doing this. But they go, and the two of them stand and begin to speak about the wonder of who Jesus is, and are met with the same reception. Dirty water, mud, and then bricks. A local neighbor kind of sees them and says, takes pity and says, come on in to my house. And so they go into the neighbor's house and the neighbor begins to hear what they're talking about. And then says, why don't you do your meeting in my house? And so that evening, they then invite a number of their friends around. Within two years, this field that Mr. I can't remember his name. There we go just testing, had gone to sown into, gone to own, suddenly start to have outgrown the houses they've been meeting in to buy a building and build a building on the high street, which actually that one they outgrew in order they had to buy this one. But we'll get to that bit in a moment. See, this was a field that God had invested his kingdom in. And what happened is that this building had become part of that building of home to reveal the king and the kingdom. And that when the church that had been couldn't do it anymore, God didn't then give up. God then says, oh, I'm going to put an odd bunch in there who can continue with this amazing message of the kingdom and the king. And so we get the privilege of now knowing that we get to tend the field that he started in. The third one then, the third field, is the field that every single one of us is uniquely placed in. See, yes, we have a field together. Yes, we have a field that is this area of Harborn. But every single one of us is then uniquely placed in a field that we get to tend and care for, that we then get to invest in with the kingdom and the king. And for each of us, those fields are different. They're different in terms of our employments. So whether it is that we're retired or we're in a moment of, of recovery where we're seeking to put our life back together or whether we're in kind of social action or we're uh, teaching or we're in university life or medicine or we're in solicitors or finance or self-employment. Each of us have different areas that God has uniquely placed us to be in that field to invest the king and the kingdom. But it's also different areas. So I know within this room even now, there's people from... The east of Birmingham, there's people who live in this area. There's people from Selly Oaks, Sturchy. There's people from Edgebaston. There's people from north of the city, Erdington. There's people from west of the city. And that God has uniquely placed each and every one of us in order that we'd know that we've been placed in that field to invest the king and his kingdom. So then it's then how do we do it? Jesus says how you do it is two simple ways. There's something we do, and there's something that God does. So firstly, let's look at what we do. 
Jesus says, there's a farmer who sows seed. Jesus wants us to understand it's that simple. That when it comes to the kingdom, it's about sowing seed. It's about literally getting something that seems so small, might be a small action, a small word, and that we then get to distribute that within the field that we've been placed. And what that means is we get to trust in the seed itself. See, the farmer never questions, does he? He doesn't say, oh, I've got this seed of wheat. I wonder if it's going to be wheat. He just knows if I've got the wheat, I'm going to sow it, and it's going to grow into wheat. The power is in the seed. The power isn't in the farmer. Jesus wants us to understand the power is in the seed, and the seed is about the kingdom, God's rule and reign, his goodness and love, and the king at the center of it, Jesus. Therefore, we get to know that we get to sow that into these unique fields that we have and been placed in. So in Romans 14, 17, Paul says, well, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about conforming people to rules and regulations of saying, hey, you must do this or you mustn't do that. Rather, he says, no, the kingdom of God is about righteousness. It's about what, how God has designed everything to be. It's about his goodness, his justice, his mercy. It's about his peace, wholeness, it's about joy. We're not those that arrive to suck the life out of everything. We're those who come full of joy regardless of circumstances because we realize our joy isn't based in something, it's based in someone. The center of this kingdom, Jesus. And therefore we can be those who come filling joy into the fields that we're part of. I remember my hairdresser, um, uh, Scott, We've had an ongoing relationship for 12 years. And uh, generally, the relationship goes like this. Once a month, maybe it should be more frequently, I don't know. Um, But I sit in his chair, he cuts my hair, I listen to him, and we talk about his life. I remember about 12, 14 months ago, I sat in the chair, and he said, he started the conversation like this. Adrian, I saw you the other day, but you didn't see me. At that point, I'm thinking, man, this is a weird way to start the conversation, Scott. This feels a bit like you're stalking me. Has this taken a dark turn? And I'm sat there going, all right, Scott, okay, and, and? And he says, well, just so you know, Scott wouldn't mind me telling this story. Like, we've got that level of relationship. He knows that I tell stories about him. I've actually asked him in the past for help when I've been writing preachers. He's quite helpful sometimes. Um, So I'm there, and I'm saying, right, okay, so you spotted me, but I didn't see you. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I spotted you, and I wanted to see, I wonder what you're like when no one knows you're looking. And I thought, man, that's a dark thought. And I know it's racking my brain thinking, oh no, what did he see? He says, this is the thing, Adrian, I don't understand. I saw you and you're on your way into Tesco Express. I was thinking, man, that could have been any day. Um, He said, and you were smiling. No one else was around and you were smiling. And I was thinking to myself, who are you smiling to? And then I thought, there are two reasons for this. One is either there is something wrong with you, which I know some of you think that might be the case, or you seem to have something that causes you to live smiling regardless of what else is going on. He said, and what I know of you, Adrian, I don't think it's that something wrong with you. 
I think there's something in you that's caused you to know that you can be joyful. And at that point, I thought, that's a seed sown into a field in a hairdresser's. And we just keep talking. See, what Paul says is that we're to live this way in the Holy Spirit. is isn't this is something we're to drum up in ourselves. It isn't that we live seeking to sow in the kingdom into the fields we're in, thinking this is all down to me. Paul says, no, no, this is the Holy Spirit at work in you. This is a partner with God who's longing to come and give us all we need in order that we can sow in to everything we're involved in with the wonder of who Jesus is and what his rule and reign look like. It isn't something to look heavy. It doesn't mean that you get to walk out of here thinking, oh, better smile, because Adrian smiles, a better smile. That's nuts. That's he allowed to come up from within. So what does this look like? Let me tell you a few stories from the history of this building. 1837, as I said, Mr. Parks first opened their sermon. From that point of sowing the seed in and just doing his part, they outgrow the houses. They outgrow the high street, they then build this building. The capacity of this building, when it was opened, was 500. And it didn't include the bit behind me. Now, the only thing I can deduce from that is, one, they were very, very small, because I can't see how you can fit 500 people in here, or they sat on each other's laps. But that that seems to be the thing. I I think probably they were small. and they crammed them in. They'd grown from this one guy having bricks, mud, and dirty water thrown at him to 500. Because that's the way it goes when you invest in the kingdom. 1869, they then see the need for education. And so having built this place, they then say, actually, this isn't enough to have a building like this. We need to do something for children who aren't able to have an education. And so they build a hall that was literally where this posh bit is now. Didn't look like that at that point. And just build a school hall in order that people can have education. Why? Because they realized that the kingdom, Jesus' rule and reign, is about what's right. It's about causing people who aren't able to be educated, to be educated, because it's not just that only the wealthy could be educated. That wasn't just. So they did a difference. They made a difference. 1892, the Wesleyan Chapel Musical and Literary Society started. At that point, you think, so? This is the equivalent to their impact. This is them saying, actually, we believe in a king and a kingdom that has something to say about culture, the arts, music, literacy, and therefore we want you to come around us because this isn't something we're scared of, but rather we believe in one who is the orchestrator of all, and we want you to see him at the very center of this because they saw the king and the kingdom is involved. So it looked like that. 1890, stained glass window behind me is put in by Mrs. Ackrell. Now, the Ackrells were a very wealthy family, hence why they could build both this bit here, and the stained glass window at the back. But it wasn't in order to show their wealth. It was actually to put at the very heart of this building what they were about. You see, they were a very wealthy family, but within a 
a moment, a divine moment, suddenly realize that their wealth had to be used for good. And so they create this stained glass window that depicts when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, and when I was sick. In order that at the very heart of this building of home, there'd be this understanding, I know what you need to be about is revealing God's mercy to those who are in such need of it. But they didn't just do it through a window. The window, if you like, becomes a window into how they lived. You see, what they did with their wealth is they built homes for the homeless. They set up pots of money as trust funds for the poor to be educated. Because they realized that actually the kingdom needs to be sown into the fields that they've been placed in. But I also said there's not only the how of what we do, there's also the how of what God does. Because in that illustration, the story that Jesus tells, he says, actually, there's the seed that gets sown, and then it grows. The farmer has nothing to do with it. The earth causes the seed to grow. And Jesus wants us to get hold of something. That as we faithfully seek to reveal the kingdom and the king to those around us, to cause them to taste and see that he's good in order they can receive him from themselves. It's God who will grow that kingdom. It's not your eye. It isn't that we have to keep going at people saying, hey, have you received it yet? You know, get, get the microphone out and shout at people down the ball ring, do you know you're going to hell? Jesus is the answer. It doesn't work. Because you can never push someone into knowing who Jesus is. Only God can do that. What we get to do is this beautiful, wonderful thing of both through our actions and through our words revealing the wonder of who Jesus is and the kingdom that he is able to reveal in order that people can then receive it for themselves. And the thing is, God will always cause the seed to grow. And if you think that you're in a setting, you think, but it's not making any difference. It is making a difference. Why? Because Jesus said it would. Jesus told other stories about the kingdom. He said it's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds that will grow into the biggest of all trees. Now we know kind of that it isn't a tree, a mustard tree. It's a, it's a big bush. But what Jesus is saying is that there is an exponential growth from this tiny seed to the size of a mustard bush, which can go to about eight meters. I've, I've done the math on this one. And if I was to replicate the multiplication growth of a mustard seed to a mustard plant, it would be that I would become as big as Mount Snowden. So Jesus says, look, you need to understand that when you, some of you are thinking, what do you do with your life? I work out this sort of stuff. That, that when you sow in Jesus' kingdom, and who he is as king, into the fields that you're placed in, I'm placed in, into this area, and to us as a church, it will exponentially grow. He said also, it's not just like a mustard seed, it's also like yeast being in a bowl of flour, that you can get this small amount of yeast, and you put it in there to make dough. And that small amount of yeast will always affect, affect, infect, I can never remember which one it's going to be, so I always say all three to cover all bases, the rest of the flour, it just will. And Jesus says, that's the way of the kingdom. If you think that what you're doing, what you're sowing, isn't going to make a difference, you're wrong. 
It will always make a difference. Which brings us, lastly, to then the when of building. Now, in it, this isn't technically a right title, if you like. I've kind of tried to get my head around it. I thought, I can't think of anything else. I've done the what, the where, and the how. I kind of want to land on the when, even though it doesn't quite work. But the when is all the time. But I want us to understand there's a when of building that's both now and not yet. And if you like, we love as a generation, and I mean that as a generation, because although we keep kind of cutting ourselves up as generations, you know, so we have baby boomers through to millennials, and I'm somewhere in between of a generation X that doesn't quite fit still with anyone. And then after millennials, they're still making up what they're going to be. And we have all of these pockets of generations. However, what can be said of everyone from baby boomer onwards is we are a now generation. We want everything. We want the result now. Instant. And there is an element that as we sow the seed, we get to know these results, these harvests now. And that's amazing. And in those moments, it means that as a family, that we get to be those that welcome many in. We get to be those that point people to Jesus. We get to know those moments like Daniel, who we've looked at, of points of amazing influence, where suddenly what we've sown in gets noticed, and people say, hey, come and help us with this. And in those moments of influence, it isn't that we back off but say, oh yeah, God, you've made me for this moment now. I'm harvesting this. But it's not that I don't want to look at, really. See, this building, I think, helps us understand that part of the harvest is yet to come. And in the now generation, which is all of us, we find that hard. Because there's this uncomfortable reality in terms of the 150th anniversary of this building. And that is that the people who started the journey obviously have been outlived, but the church that started it isn't continuing it now. And I don't say that as disrespect to them, I say it rather as something that's helped and provoked me. Because I don't think Mr. Parks, a hundred and something years ago, thought, I know one day, the Methodist church that I've helped start will have ended. I think he thought it will keep going. And I wonder if for a moment that as he's with Jesus now in that eternal rest, I don't think this in reality is helping, but happening, but just for a moment, just imagine that he was there looking in with Jesus and seeing then in 2007 when the doors get locked and the Methodist church say, we're done here. Our time is gone. I wonder if at that moment he looked in and was thinking, but, but what, what about then? In 1837, I started the field. I started to sow. I didn't think it only last till then. I wonder if Jesus then came alongside him and said, yeah, but you don't understand. The harvest is still going to happen. The seed is still being sown. But my kingdom's bigger than just what you thought. Because I've got this odd bunch of people that I'm going to take from a cricket ground, from an arts venue, and I'm going to plop them in there. And they're going to cause what was locked up and kind of left to start to dilapidate, to actually realize that it can be awoken again to be a home that reveals the king and the kingdom. Because I'm one who always brings harvest. And so for us, we need to be those who look 150 years in the future and say, not will the name of Oasis live on, I, I couldn't care less, to be honest. But will the kingdom 
and the king live on through the generations that follow us? Will we give them a baton that they can pick up that says, hey, I was part, and we look back in nostalgia with also a sense of faith of those people who lived in 2018. Man, the funny things they did. And yet what they were about was Jesus and his kingdom, and that's what we're about. Because I promise you, if we give ourselves to not thinking about the now, but rather investing in our great-great-grandchildren, whether they're our own or others, I think, man, what will they reap that we have sown? I think at that point, it starts to make sense. And that's why I think this 150th anniversary is worth celebrating. Can I pray for us and then we'll end? So I've run on a bit, which is always a danger in the afternoon because I start to get a bit tired and go just waffle. So I apologize for waffling a little. But can I pray for us? Why don't we stand as a way of saying, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of sat for longer. And just whilst we've stood, I wonder if you could close your eyes if you feel comfortable to do that. And in closing your eyes, it's just a way of saying I'm distracting myself from other people, other things. I'm just going to focus on who you are, God. And just with their eyes closed, I wonder if you'd feel free just to put your hands out, just saying, God, I'm here. And what I want to do is just pray for each and every one of us and pray that we would know a fresh commissioning from God to be those who sow this amazing kingdom with the knowledge of this amazing king into who we are, into this area of Harborn, into the unique fields that we've been placed. Jesus, I thank you so much for every individual in this room. God, I thank you that you know their life story. God, you know the journey that you've had with them. And Jesus, I thank you that you've brought them here for this moment now. In order that they know that their life has purpose, that our lives have purpose, that we are part now of this amazing bigger story an amazing bigger story that you've entrusted us, that we get the privilege of revealing the wonder of your rule and reign, of your goodness and your love. And that in that, to allow people to taste and see and receive you as king. And Jesus, I pray for every single one of us that we would not kind of dismiss the fields that you've placed us in. But we'd realize that we have uniquely been fashioned to do this and that you're longing to use us to reveal you. And so God, Holy Spirit, I just pray, would you come now and would you cause each of us to know that you are using us. And I pray also that we'd rest in the fact, God, that you grow the seed, that as we do our little part, you're gonna grow what we're doing. And I pray, God, that you'd cause us to live with a perspective that isn't about driven by results of the now, but rather is thinking, man, I wonder what generations in the future will inherit through what I invest now. Jesus, I thank you for the bigger and better story you continuously call us into. And I pray, God, would we live and rest in it. Amen.